0: Like everybody here, we can all consume whatever we want. So we can fly on whatever planes we like, you know, you can fly private, you can stay in the nicest hotels, get the nicest Airbnbs, go out to dinner every single night of the week at the five-star restaurant, at the Michelin star. And you can do that for the rest of your life. But I can't buy that skyscraper right there. And I can't buy this huge company. And so what happens is like the things that you want to buy change. And so you create a new deficit for the amount of wealth that you want. Again, this is just assuming you like the game. And so, like, I like the game, so I just want to keep playing it. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like my days off on the
1: road. Where should we start? Because you do a lot of these interviews. What? Uh, what's the fun version of this for you? Because I feel like if somebody actually wants to know an answer to something, it's been published. You got a book. You got a Twitter. You got, you got a thousand YouTube videos. Like it. If you're motivated, you can go find the answer. Like I tweeted out, yo, Alex coming on the pod today. What would you like to know? They're like, I'd like to know his thoughts on offers, making a (laughs) sure offer. Like, Like, yes, literally his book. And I think the book is like free or 99 cents. So like, that's just a lazy, lazy question at this point. Um, But I know whenever I do interviews, there's some version of the conversations that are more fun or I'm like, yeah, when, when we talk about that stuff, it's more interesting to me. And that kind of lights me up in a different way. What, what is that for you? Well,
0: I'll say there's two things that I've been
1: um, probably focused a lot
0: on. One is uh, obviously acquisition.com. And so like what we're doing and, and um, kind of clarifying the mission between all, all the stuff that we're actually doing every day. Um, and then the other side of it is just that the leads book is coming out soon. And so it's tough because I'm sure you guys have had stuff that you've worked on and uh, it's like been on its way coming out. And all of your energy is going into writing it or building it or recording stuff about it. And then you can't talk about it because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it all the time until it's like ready to, to go off. And so the six weeks beforehand is when it's like, we have all this pre-recorded stuff. I've got like full courses, like I've got all this shit that's going to, that's going to drop, um, when the next book comes out, but I haven't talked about anything leads related for like two years because I've known, because I've been working on it for two years. Uh, for the next launch so those are the two things uh, that are like top of mind for me like what we're doing on the mosey media side and acquisition.com and then and then the the lead stuff
1: what's that- the split between those two so you got media you got mm-hmm. acquisitions.com give me the time split so given on a given month you know what percent if there's a pie chart what are you spending on the, on the content versus acquisitions yeah. and then also on the money side like uh are you making more off the media or are you making more oh. off acquisitions? What's this what's the relative difference between the two?
0: Yeah, we we lose money on media. Um, so no, we we don't make money. I think I think between like AdSense and if you consider book sales a part of that, um, but I give the book away for 99 cents. Actually, Amazon updated it because we re-uploaded it with like some fix-its and they wouldn't let us go below 190, which now makes all the times I said 99 cents, like people would be like, he's trying to get us. It right. sucks. Anyways. Um, but no, I think the book does um, the book does about a million bucks a year in profit in terms of like what it what it makes, um, and then and then AdSense is probably like five hundred grand a year, so it's like one and a half million, and that 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 barely covers the media team, uh, and so that's How topics kind of sp- the team right now. We've got ten, and then we've got vendors. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I dig it. It's fun. Right now we do, I record. once so to answer your question, Sean, about time split, uh, we do one recording day every 14 days. That's like the direct-to-camera stuff. And then you know, if I do a podcast, like I got one of my guys here, Trevor, um, who's reporting you know, our, our side of it so that they can clip
2: this stuff later. So any ad one one dedicated day twice a month. Are you enjoying like the celebrity that comes with this, you know, getting noticed and things like that? Um, enjoy is probably like, cause I feel like there's some people who love attention and there's some people who
0: hate attention. I'm like right in the middle. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was purposefully deliberately not public because I wanted to be rich and anonymous. And that was kind of like the mission for a long time for me. Um, and then now that we are on there, I would say that there are pros and there are cons of increasing, you know, fame or what do you want to call it? Recognition. Um, I think the pros outweigh the cons, but there are cons. Like what? Uh, you get weirdos. You know what I mean? Like we're, we have, we have security. You know what I mean? Like we go to, like, I can't, I can't attend any event. Like I can't attend an event. Like I can't go to somebody's like small group meetup. Like I can't, like it's, it's very hard uh, because I can't enjoy anything uh, because I'll have a line of people who are, you know, asking for advice or signatures or pictures or whatever. And like, again, I am grateful as shit to everybody to do that. It just like, it's a different experience. So I just have to, I have to. If I'm gonna to go to something, I go into it knowing that's what my experience is gonna be, not whatever or whoever's on stage.
1: Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot, and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk, so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secret's out, Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Yeah, it makes yeah. the online experience dope, but it makes the real life experience less different. Uh, it's different. Low. That's what fundamentally, it just
0: changes with the in-person experiences. Like if I walk out, so like what's interesting is that I was able to, or I have been able to, to, to mark how social media and like the, the audience has grown by the number of real world interventions I had pre-united time. And so like, I remember the first time I got recognized public and then it was once a month and then it was once a week and then it was once a day. And then is every time I walk outside the door and now it's about five times or six times every time I walk outside um, I get I get recognized um, and so like I just imagine that that just continues to compound you know with time and with distribution so it's just it's different but here's the pros we get the best talent for our portfolio companies and for acquisition.com because so many people want to come here um, we get them for at market rate or or below because of all the learnings that they want and the other people who are also pro players on the team uh we get the best deal flow that's all proprietary companies that want to work specifically with us they're not trying to exit to anyone or sell to anyone they want to work with us deliberately to scale the company so like i continue to do it because i'm more rewarded for doing it than i am punished for doing it but there are definitely you know you get weird letters and you get you know weird attacks and things like that like it's just you know it's it comes with the territory and
2: it's to be expected and so um for us, the pros outweigh the cons, but there are cons. I remember talking to uh, Tim Ferriss, and you could just tell from the outside, but he, I don't know if he's mainstream famous or not, uh, or if I'm in a bubble, but he's popular enough that he has all these people listening to him and all that stuff. But he, well, the cool thing about him was he had high profile people and people who, like a lot of people who listen to you, you're like, uh, I'm thankful that you listen, but I don't exactly want to go hang out with you. But he would actually have a ton of listeners who would reach out to him who were like, you know, like the Matthew McConaughey's of the world or, or some like football coach or Ryan Holiday has that too, where it's like someone who's like a big deal who you're like, oh my God, you listen to me. That's amazing. I would, I would be honored to go and hang out with you. And he had, (laughs) he had stories like that. And Sean and I have had that a little bit where like, some like business person who we both admire will be like, yeah, I heard your pod on this thing. And I'm like, oh, wow, you listened to that? Has that, have you crossed that threshold where you have people who you admire who are messaging you and being like, man, what you said was really cool. What's your, you know, I have a question about X, Y, and Z. And you're like, oh man, that's amazing. My heroes want to talk to me now. Yeah. um, I mean, yes. Uh, I don't want to put anyone
0: on blast, but like there've been some mega, mega influencers who like followed me and like hit me and they were like, dude, this is awesome. And I'm like, well, now I think less of you because you follow my content. So I uh, <laughs> yeah. big red flag there. You know, I, I told Layla the biggest <laughs> red flag I had with her was that she was into um, and so, <laughs> um No, I'm kidding. But um, but yeah, like some NFL players that I used to like, you know, really look up to like huge MLB stars, like, and uh, like huge, huge podcasters that, that, you know, followed me. And and uh, yeah, it's been cool. One of the, one of the reverse situations is when I like, go to like, see, I'm like, oh yeah, how is so-and-so celebrity? And I click and it says like, follow back. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's surreal. I'm sure you guys have had, it's surreal. It's very, um.
2: Well, I grew up like admiring Lance Armstrong. I'm, 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 big into endurance sports. And one time I got an email and it was like, uh, Hey, just to let you know, I love the hustle. Uh, and he signed it with Lance, and the uh, you could tell it was Lance Armstrong by his Gmail. And I was like, I don't believe this is really Lance Armstrong. If it is, here is my phone number. Call me right now. <laughs> and he, he he called me within like three minutes. And I was like, he called. He goes, Sam, what's going on? And I was like, Lance, is this really you? <laughs>
1: Father, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I
2: and then I, I had a couple other athletes holler at us, and I remember thinking like. Growing up playing sports, I would have killed to have yeah. an athlete like this recognize me and I could never achieve the athletic greatness enough for them to acknowledge m- you know, my talents. And then now you just take this total like outside path and you get to it. Or like one time we had like, this was really weird, but like the lead singer of Lincoln Park, uh, Mike, he like tweeted out that he likes our pod and the hustle, whatever. And I was like, oh, that's sick. Like I never, I would have wanted to have met you, but there's no way I could have gone down this normal path. But if we went this weird way, we finally kind of met. And I found that to be very strange and awesome.
1: Yeah, it's sort of that uh, be so good they can't ignore you as a general advice for life. Uh, like whatever, whatever you want is on the other side of you being so good that you can't be ignored. At uh, anything. At, 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 at anything. And also, um, like it doesn't have to be. I think that's kind of what you're saying, Sam. It doesn't have to be the thing you expect. Right. um like oh you want you know you, you want to meet Warren Buffett someday you don't have to be a stock picker that's not that's probably actually the least likely way that Warren Buffett's going to want to going to want to know you and in general you shouldn't really pick based on what they want you should just pick based on the thing you can actually get so good at that you can't be ignored and uh it's hard to do obviously that's hard to do but it's like more of the it's more of the right guidance than uh than many other p- bits of advice you could take as as far as like a north star for how you're going to like you know, what you're going to go for.
2: Right, exactly. Um, and so anyway, it's cool that we're all kind of like seeing that in reality uh, wanna... come true. Are you enjoying acquisitions.com? Because I know when we first talked to you, I think you were maybe only a year or two years in. Yeah. You're relatively new. I think you had just sold um, gym launch. Are you happy with like, uh, is it what you thought it was going to be? And do you actually like doing it? And by the way, explain what acquisitions... Yeah,
0: what, what that is. Yeah. And so it's acquisition.com. The reason I, I emphasize that is because there's somebody who bought acquisitions, plural.com, and it's just a not, it's not me. It's a different company. but acquisition.com, um, is our portfolio of companies. And, uh, so I'll give the, the, the TLDR in 90 seconds. So I, uh, had a chain of GMs, took that, licensed the IP to 5,000 locations, started a supplement company sell through that distribution base. And then started a software company. We exited all three of those companies in 2021. Uh, we'd taken about 40 million in distributions prior to the exit and we sold for 46.2 million and the software company I did separately or sold separately in a strategic deal that was all stock um, and I I said that because you guys would probably laugh because like it, I, I people were like I googled Altomose's net worth and it says 15 million it's like well I sold the company for 46 and all cash so like I don't know where you got that and the only reason you do that and get that money is because it was making money so so anyways um, that was pretty much 2021 so we closed December twenty. Fifth or sixth, I can't remember. It was it was one of those days. It was right around It's twenty fourth. It's Christmas Eve. That's what it was. Christmas Eve. We is we closed, um, and then we started acquisitions. knock on the next day. Uh, and so that was when we like oh, we made our kind of declaration. At that point, though, I'd already made three uh, minority investments uh, that had done really really well, uh, and that's why I wanted to make that kind of my next big thing.
1: If you started it the next day, that means you kind of had this idea of cooking. So what was yeah. the what was the genesis? Why did you? Why did, What made you realize? Oh, this is what I should do next. I should buy these yeah. minority stakes and in companies like the one I just built, and yeah. I should get this domain name, uh, which I assume you had to buy. So, yeah. wh- how were you so ready to do that? What was the thought process? So,
0: um, during COVID, because obviously gyms were affected by COVID, uh, you know, we took a hit, but right? we took a major hit. We were still profitable, but it was a uh, it was a big, you know, it was hard. Um, and so to kind of get some space because there wasn't a lot, like, I couldn't do more. You know, there was, you know, like, obviously, we, you know, we, we push things harder, but like, I was above the business enough that there was nothing, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to do anything, right? Um, and so I kind of just needed to take my my mind off things. And so by, by happenstance, uh, a guy who owned a photography, a single photography studio, um, made his movie on my calendar. And in the first, and this is not how you do this, everyone. like, do not do this. Uh, But I was actually still taking some calls for Alan because I wanted to do some like testing. And this was before I had a big brand. So I was just kind of like founder, talking to customers to get an idea of what was going on. But he knew me enough from just like, I'd written a small book in the gym space called Gym Launch Secrets, that he had read that book, like loved it, applied it to his photography business. And he took a sales call through my software company because he knew I was taking the calls. Uh And so he hopped on and was like, I have no interest in your software. (laughs) He's like, but can you please give me 20 minutes? And I was like, sure, man. All right. And I just liked his vibe. And so, anyways, we ended up doing a deal. Uh, and so we took a minority uh, percentage of the business. And um, that business I think had done 1.6, they were doing 1.6 million a year at a single single location, uh, which is wow. pretty awesome for a tiny like photography studio. And he had, I think he had taken, and this isn't all the book, clearly, because there's a million things, but he had taken some of the concepts from Jim L. Chico's book, applied them, um, and it had grown the business a lot. And he had an agency uh, for photographers to kind of like do the same model for them. Right. And so we were having a conversation. Um, and he was like, yeah, I did exactly what you said. And all the photographer studios add 400,000 a year, uh, to the top line, uh, when they use our thing. And I was like, they add 400,000 a year. He was like, yeah, on average. And I was like, okay, uh, how much are we selling this thing for? And I used these like pennies. And I was like, okay, so, um, let's not do that. And, uh, let's own them all. And so that kind of, pit, so he actually, and this is where like the the trust factor of what like the inbound deal flow, which is what I love about acquisition.com is that we have a lot of trust. And so he actually shut down a business that was making him, I think 500,000 a year uh, in profit, uh, that agency side and shut it down to zero uh, because he like believed that he believed me enough to, to go all in on this other direction of private ownership of
1: all the locations. if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And so um, as of today, and that was 2020, as of today, we have 36 locations um, in that business, you know, just 30 plus million a year. Uh, and it continues to grow by at
2: one or two locations every month. And, and so, and what's, what's that business do? Enchanted fairies.
1: So it's children's photography.
2: Right. Dude, that's insane.
1: And you so when when we last had you on, I saw I went to the website and I was like, okay, cool. What what are the acquisitions? Great. What are the what they acquire? And I saw yeah. basically like uh enchanted fairies. And I was like, okay, yeah. cool. They're doing like the, you know, the gym launch playbook on this other space. That makes a lot of sense. And if I go there today, they're still those same companies. So how come you're not putting yeah. new acquisitions up there? I assume you've made a bunch of acquisitions like, you know, in the last 24 months or whatever. Uh, Why not put new companies up there? You're pretty open about other stuff, but in this case, you're not putting them up there. And then also, uh, let's start with that.
0: Yeah. Main reason. So there's two big reasons why we're not public about the acquisitions. Um, Number one is that it's my brand has grown to such a degree that, like, if I say, hey, this business is awesome. And it, and it has a national ability, like in chain of fairies is less of an, you know, like, unless you're in one of those 30 markets and also my audience isn't like moms with kids. So like it's, 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 you know, it's, it's arm's length enough that it doesn't affect the business. But as you can imagine, a lot of the businesses come to me are business services and, uh, they're, you know, they're national, they're international, whatever companies. And so like me endorsing uh, a company would five, 10 X the company overnight. And so that comes with a couple things. One is that I haven't negotiated those deals with a brand endorsement included. If I include a brand endorsement, then I own a majority. I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna risk my face on something I can't control. And so these are most of the most of the investments we have are minority. We do have a majority investment as well. Um, but that was one that came in as a minority, and then I just bought more because I of the business. Um, and it was up our wheelhouse. Um, the second thing is that if we were to exit those businesses and I had done an endorsement in a minority position, then guess who has to go with the deal? Me, right? Like I would, as an acquirer, if there's some massive influencer that's associated with the brand, like he's not getting out in a deal. And so our whole goal is to build value in the in the business so that the business is sellable and more valuable. Um, and we use my face to bring deals in. And so that's why I've been really, really tight lipped about um, the businesses. How many deals have you done so far? We've done, right now we have
1: 11 portfolio companies. Is it all your own money or you raised a fund?
2: No, it's all private. It's all mine. Damn, dude. Yeah. So you're, you're going all in on this. And so I asked you originally, are you happy with how yeah. this is working out? Is it what you thought it was? What's he going to say? No? Well,
1: yeah. yeah I it could it's, be it's like, not. well, he's like, <laughs> well, I, did,
2: I, did, I didn't realize like uh, this is actually just a, mostly a due diligence game. Um, and yeah. I don't know if I'd love i love mean,
1: that. What's the worst part about it? What's something you didn't, kind of? what's a downside you didn't fully respect up front? So I
0: think there's like knowing something and then experiencing it are two kind of separate things. And so like, I know that in a minority position, we have to use soft influence to, 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 to try and move things forward. Um, I know that, but I would say the the most difficult part is, is, is half listened to advice. And so I'll give you an example. So if I say, Hey, we think that this operator in your business blows, and we need a new operator person says, okay. And then we find them a new operator and then they hire the new operator, but then they don't fire the old operator. Like what the fuck? Right. Huh. Very hard to win at that point. Right. And it's like, well, I listen, so like, it's kind of like listening to half of someone's diet advice. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing the cheat days brushing the cheat days it's like yeah but there's the other days that you're in a deficit yeah, yeah but you said cheat days raise your metabolism like yeah but you also need a deficit you know what i mean and so it's 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 listing completeness. and so um i don't know we may move to like because like the business that i i would say transparently that i enjoy the most is the one that we have complete control of and so we bought majority of that business and we were growing that one like gangbusters and the speed to action is so much faster um that being said you know we've uh, you know I would say like the the biggest win we have have been a company that came to us at did 16 million uh the year before, now you know, did fifty last year. Um 20 million and EBITDA. Uh so that's the biggest company that we have in the portfolio. Um we've had you know the the Enchanted fairies is obviously one that you know they were that at two-ish with you know combining the two things. they they're pacing two and a half million a month right now or two point seven, something like that. Yeah, um so we have a kind of pretty some big
1: ridiculous ones. deal, right? Like I had a friend message me that was like, dude. Harmozie's playbook is uh, obviously amazing, but he's like this deal that they offered us. He's like, I don't know who would take this. And, uh, uh you know, he's like, there's, uh, he, I don't know if this is actually the deal or not, but he was like, basically it was like no money. We'll give you no money, but we get ownership ab- if we grow it above X. So it's kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think sounded like more of a risk, risk-free strategy in a way, but, mm-hmm. um, is, that, is there a standard deal structure? And is that it, where you're not putting capital in? You're basically saying, give us the equity. We guarantee we grow by this much. And if we don't, some, I don't know, yeah. some some clawback. We've
0: iterated it, honestly, a bunch of times. So one of the, one of the so this is, a, to answer your question, Sam, like probably even more poignantly now that we're getting into it. One of the hardest things about like the investment cycle is that when you're making a product, right, or you're trying to sell a service, you can ideate it, create an MVP, pitch it, See how it goes within like sixty days, like the whole like the whole thing, soup to nuts. You can you can do that whole cycle sixty days. For deals, it's like you can think of a, you know an idea for a deal structure. It takes ninety days to six months to close the deal, and then it might take a year to see even just like some preliminaries of like how do we like this structure, how does it work, etc. And so like I still feel like we are most in our infancy in the deal structures that we have. So like uh, in terms of no money in. There are deals we put money in. There are deals that we don't put money in. It depends on the deal. Um, like the big one for money is it depends on what the need of the business is. So like if we're opening up a lot of brick and mortar locations, like we're about to, I think we might have actually today there tomorrow uh, on a, a 28 uh, location chain. Um, that one requires capital to open more locations. So that one, I'm like, I know where the capital is going. I see what the returns on capital are. Let's get that, right? If it's a national based service business. So let's say it's uh, you know, mortgage sales, like they don't need there's no capex. Like they just need recruiting. They need guys. Right. And they, that's how that's how sales gets increased. And so like that's where that's where where does the money like where's the money going and what is it used for? Like what I don't want to do is just like someone guy to go buys a mansion after I write a check. Like that's not the goal here. Like the goal is that we're both together wanting to grow this massive thing. Um and so it just really depends on on what the what the nature of the deal is. So that's number one. Um in terms of, uh, how we structure them, uh, originally I had a grand slam offer type thing. Now it's just much more straightforward of like, we were, you know, we we're equity holders in the business. It's, it's interesting because it's actually gotten less cute and less clever as time has gone on. But like it's just much more like, this is our deal. Like we own a big chunk of the business. Um, and we're going to grow it. And I mean, the thing is, is that for us, based on my hold go like I put five hundred thousand a year in labor into the businesses, and like that's if I wanted to like not mark up labor, like that's hard cost. And so if a company, for example, uh, you know is doing whatever five million a year in EBITDA, and I'm and I'm buying a you know a one third stake or a forty percent stake in the business, like how, like what are my valuing at and. How much of that value is going to come in the, for, in the form of, of just work that we're going to do, and so that's where that's where the valuation and how much cash in et cetera kind of becomes more like per deal uh, basis. But yeah, so the long well, story short is one is soft influence has been something that I've been learning. We may in the future just do more majority deals um, where the founder stays on because, like, what I want to do is show how much more we grew this. Uh, well, I mean, we do have obviously some minority ones that have crushed too, but like I I want to murder this majority deal. I'd be like, wouldn't you like to have 49% of something 10 times bigger or 100 times bigger? Uh, and so that's kind of the, the, the angle. But yeah,
2: we're, we're learning every day. We talked to a, our good friend is Andrew Wilkinson. He's done a similar-ish thing as you. And then um, we've got a handful of other friends that have done something. And they're like, well, I got really inspired when I read uh, the Swarm Buffett book. Uh, and that like, taught me a little bit about compounding growth. Uh, and other people have cited other books or things that they learned. Where they're like, oh no, this is the way to go, and that's what I—that's why I got into this. What about you? What what transitioned to you from going to this like almost PE model versus just one brand model?
0: Yeah, and I definitely—if I were—if I were to give us a, a name, it would be like a merger of a family office and a conglomerate, uh, because family office in that it's literally just family money. Like I don't—I don't have any outside investors, and then conglomerate in terms of like our business model. Like I'm not trying to exit anything. I would like to continue to compound the investments we have if a founder absolutely like needs to, or wants to, or, you know, gets divorced and has to create the asset, then like, we will go down that, that, that route. But long-term we're long-term holders. Um, but in terms of the inspiration, um, it was actually because gym launch has, there's only 50,000 micro gyms, like in the U S at least. And we had already gotten on the phone with 20,000. So like, if you're a micro gym owner, know who we are probably. And I realized I went to this, um, this little meetup of entrepreneurs and it was like six or seven people and the whole room was doing in aggregate, like 500 million a year in revenue. And I was, you know, I think I were doing like mid thirties at the time. And, uh, I was like, I, I was really excited to go. Cause I was like, what do these guys have that I don't have? Like, I wanted to, you know, like, what am, what am I missing? Right. And we had been there for like three years. We'd been in the thirties for three years. And I felt like I was like, something was wrong. And the big takeaway I had was not that they had better systems or they're better at marketing or better at sales or better at product. They just were going after a bigger market. Like every single one of them to a man had a market that was 10 to 100 times the size. And so I said that whatever I wanted to do next was going to be, was going to go after a much bigger market. And there are significantly more businesses than there are James. And so that was kind of the big thing. It's like, okay, well, it's something that can compound forever and that has a huge tail? And so we kind of like walked backwards from there. And then in terms of like the, the doing this model, like we believe that people like build the people and the people build the business. And so like Layla, you know, when we were it was like 18 months of ideation. I know we're, we're going full circle, but like, how did we start the next day? Well, these are the things that we we're thinking through. Um, and I said, Layla, if I were to die tomorrow, what, what business would you start? And she was like, I would start a recruiting firm. And I was like, I don't want to start a recruiting firm. I was like, huh, I want like, Is there a way that we could combine what you like and what I like into something cool? And so for us, like the most hands-on valuable thing that you can do for a business is find A players. Because if you find A players, you put them in the business and then they grow the business. And then that value stays inside the enterprise of the business, not hold co, like not the goose, but the egg, right? And so for us, we just recruit crazy talent because we like our competitive mode is that we have more influence than they, they do. And so we have, a whole culture, community of mosey talent, where our head of people like continues to bring like we have tons of people every single day that are applying for portfolio positions, and then we can screen them, vet them, and then because we know the company and because we're long term incentivized, we don't just want to like put a body in a seat. We want to find the killer that we know that if we that we we, w- we only want to fill the role once, right? We want to fill it with somebody who matches the culture and matches the skill set of the business at this level. So a lot of times, like first time entrepreneurs. They're at whatever, a million a month. And they're like, okay, do I hire a bookkeeper? Do I hire a staff accountant? Do I hire a controller? Do I hire a CFO? Do I hire a director of finance? Like, where, like, who am I hiring right now? And what does that person look like? And so, like, we've done this enough times to be like, okay, at this level, you probably need a controller who has experience going from a million a month to three million a month. And, right. And, like, at that point, they, and we'll tell them up front that we will bring a CFO who has transaction experience in the future. So they're not, Jostled when that happens, right? Same thing, they're scaling out the sales team. They're like, okay, well, I've got three good guys. It's like, cool, we need 20. So, like, you can't just take your best closer and make him manager because he's never done this before. So, we want someone who's built at least one or two sales teams specific to, let's say, it's inbound or it might be outbound. It depends on like the sales process of the business. And they've built those types of teams and they're like, cool, we'll bring that guy in. We have our playbooks. Then we say, hey, on our interview process, we're like, this is how we do things during you line with that. And if we do feel like there's alignment and they can they, can, they have the chops because we do skill tests, then we can say, hey, I think that you'll match. And obviously, the founder still has final say because they have to like the person; otherwise, it's not going to work. Um, but we do a lot of that heavy lifting because you know we might take a hundred interviews at Holdco to find one one guy for one specific role for one company, and that's where that labor cost comes in for us. But once we put like the reason we took majority, and it take majority, bought majority of the uh, of that business was we had built the entire executive team we built the entire executive team and we're like okay cool and the fatter was like you know what i kind of want to do other things with the business like i know it's in good hands i trust you guys and so it was like a very friendly deal and now he just gets checks every month and like likes his life a lot and we just continue to run the business which we're cool there's,
2: there's this really cool video where you're with grant cardone and i think you're like in the process or pre uh process for selling gym launch and you were like and he said something like Rich people sell their companies. Wealthy people never sell. And mm-hmm. what's cool is that I've sold a company before. Sean has sold some companies before. You've sold a company. What's so funny is a lot of first-time founders and second, third time, I mean, a lot of people, their whole business is selling. But after they sell, they go through this period and they're like, shit, I shouldn't sell ever again, actually. And you said you sold the business for $47 million. You said you had taken $40 million in distributions. So in my head, I'm like, that's a pretty shit sale then. Do you wish that you would have just held on to it and, and, and never sold that, that company?
0: No. Because the person I was then wouldn't be able to do what I can do now. Could I do that? Could I say, today, would I hold on to it? Yes. But I don't think I could have done it then. And so a lot of the reasons, like transparently, if I had, I got more credibility from selling gym launch at 46 and it was valued at 150 before COVID. So to your point, it was a shit sale. Um, but I was done. I was emotionally done with the business. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I still own a third of the business. So like when they crush the exit, the next exit at 250 million, I'll still get my hundred million dollar check from that. Um, but I was, I was emotional. I moved on. And my big thing is like all my friends, all my close people, were like, dude, you sound depressed as fuck. Like, you're not interested. And I was like, dude, I want to do this new thing. And they're like, dude, you light up when you talk about this new thing. And so um, I actually walked away from the deal during the deal process and then came back. Uh, and so, like, yeah, it was not like, it's funny because people give me a lot of, I, I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of people give me praise for that, but they don't have context. Like, get what, like, you know, we had done, we had done 30 million in EBIT the two, the 24 months prior to the deal. So, like, you know, selling at 46.2 is not like, Like I I told them I needed to be public about the number because I do know that the vast majority of people don't get it. Um, and that that's, that is enough to give me credibility for fucking TikTok. Um, but it's not like the transaction itself isn't necessarily one that I'm like proud of. I'm proud of what we built and that the the company's grown 40% since we sold it. (laughs) Um, it's that they're going to kill on that deal. But now that I also understand how debt works, which I didn't understand that, like, again, this is like knowing risk experiencing. Like, I understood that they were gonna get debt, but when I realized that 80 or 90% of the money that they put in, they then just immediately pulled right back out, leveraging the company's books. I was like, well, shit. I could have kept the whole fucking thing and gotten 90% of the money, not personally guaranteed, and de-risked myself. But would that have created the same story of something that is sellable from a personal brand perspective? And I think the answer is no. And so, um, I don't regret the sale. I think the sale was required for that step in my journey. I think that now, because we have the credibility, like no one cared that I had taken 40 million in distributions. No one gave a shit. Like, it didn't matter. Like, the day I sold, my neighbors were like, oh, I saw you on Forbes. Like, congratulations. So I was like, I was richer before I did the transaction. (laughs) Like, I was wealthier before that point. Um, But like, it allowed us to do acquisition.com because I don't think I could have, because my brand was still so I was still the CEO, as far as people were concerned, of that company, and I needed to have that space so that I could create acquisition there. Sean, yeah, would you he, have done, what do you think? Would
2: you have done that?
1: I, I think he explained it beautifully. I think he explained it exactly beautifully and honestly, which was that two, th- two things he just said that I resonate deeply with me. One, this is the last thing you just said, which is to have what you want, sometimes you just need to make space. And so this is like, uh, I learned this through relationships you're dating somebody you kind of they're not exactly what you want they're not bad there's nothing wrong there's nothing terrible about it so most people just stick with it for years and years and years and then they're kind of like well if there was like a much better option then yeah like i would feel more comfortable just like going being single but i've always been very quick to just if i know this isn't it i'll break up i don't need to have another great option ready uh, or, or, or like shown to me to make it real. I know that if I make space, then great things can appear. And sometimes totally. you just got to do that. Like I've taken, like when we sold Bebo, it was the same thing. I had, I had been doing this thing for six or seven years and the business was doing okay at that point point. and thought, like, you know, but in my heart of hearts, I knew this is never going to be massive. And we had all gone into that business with a basically like, yo, let's do something massive. So, by other people's standards, it might have been a good business. By our, our own mission, it was going to be a failure. I knew that. And so, it was when I was out with a friend and he was like, I don't get what you're doing. And he's like, You just need to shake things up. And, um, you know, th- I was shook. I couldn't sleep. I was like, He's right. Like, I've been doing this for too long. I need to shake things up. And so, I went into our, our investor the next day and I just said, um, I think it's time we change things up. I said, I need to change things up. I said, yeah, uh, You know, if you want to keep going, I will help you hire a CEO, and you can take have somebody else take this over. I'll give you back my shares. I don't need a thing from this. Like I, I I will do whatever I can, or give me thirty days. I'm going to see if I can sell, or I'm out. Like those are the. This is either way. In thirty days, this is going to change for me. I've I've just decided to make space, basically, for something. He's like, "Well, what do you want to do next?" And uh, I was like, "I have no idea." He's like, "Well, no, really. Like you know, usually people when they're." You know they they come to me it's because they already kind of lined up something else i was like no honestly i have no idea i just know that i need to make some space and so uh, that part resonates with me and also the idea of like you like when i look back now and i'm like oh like before i sold our company if i didn't if my company wasn't going to be the next big thing i would just shut it down literally just turn it off take a zero on it and then i just started looking around and uh, i learned this word aqua hire in Silicon valley i was like oh people just sell failing companies And then I learned like, you know, the asset sale. It's like, oh, you could just sell the code and the assets. Like, wait, who are these buyers? And I didn't even really understand what my options were. And so when you talk about basically, I could have refinanced. I could have just refinanced based on the business assets, took 90% of the value. I felt that same like stupidity later. But like, that's life. Life is basically looking back. And being like, I was such an idiot. And that's how I mark years of time, not by like the calendar days, but by number of times I look back and say, God, I was so dumb. I didn't even understand this. I was sitting on something I didn't even really under. I didn't really know what I I know. now. knowing what I know now, I know exactly what I should have done. And at that time, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that I was making a mistake. Well, the difference is like,
2: I think that we all, uh, us three actually have done where we are tacticians. So like, I understand how to grow shit. And I understand like, you build this page, you do this thing, uh, you write these words. Here is the customer. You talk to him. Whatever. I think the the with the gap you have to bridge is becoming a uh, from tactics to strategy. And I used to like make fun of all my buddies who are in finance. I'm like, dude, you're just like an Excel monkey. You don't know anything. Like you're just this stupid fucking hedge fund, and maybe it makes money, but you don't know shit. And then I realized, like when they talk about debt and stuff, I was like, I'm not going to pay attention to any of that because I think that's stupid. And then I realized how it starts working, and I'm like, oh my god, that's not the strategy. So it's like. That's the strategy. And that, and I was like, Oh, I used to think I'm, I've got good vision. I understand how this shit works. And then I realized how money worked a little bit more with debt and borrowing other people's money to do this and like taking money off the table and all of these like terms that I kind of heard about, but I didn't exactly understand. I realized shit. If I'm going to be like really good at my job, I, I got to be good. I got to understand the tactics. You really also have to understand the strategy, which Alex, it seems like you're actually now, now you get the strategy of how money and business works, not just the tactics, which. The whole $100 million offer book, which uh, I read, I think it's awesome. That's tactical. mostly t- tactical. But the strategic shit is what you're saying of like, oh, you can borrow other people's money and to do this, that that's some big picture shit.
0: Yeah, without a personal guarantee. So because I'll be like, why well, don't want to put that on the business because I don't want to risk that. I was like, you are not risking it. Like the, the business is risking isn't it. And if you're willing to do a sale for X, it's like, well, are you willing to do? Uh, like, because the business is going to take the risk on either way. I mean, depending on the acquire, but if you're selling a private equity, like I know you have a lot of uh, a bigger tech audience, but I probably have a bigger like uh, like certain, like, like I would say everyday business audience, you know, guys who have massive roofing businesses or, you know, a huge chain of, you know, teeth whitening studios. You know what I mean? Like just, just those types of businesses are the ones that tend to, to follow more of my stuff. And like, that's usually going to be a roll up or a private equity acquire for the most part, right? Maybe a strategic if you like have another big teeth whitening chain that wants to buy you, but like that's about it. um, And I, I think I, I resonate with what you said, Sam. I always thought those guys like I was like, you don't even understand business, and I to a degree, I actually don't think they understand business, but right. they understand the macro level of business. And I think where you get really dangerous is when you know both totally. because you can play both games. Like you can because what they do, they do almost purely inorganic growth. They try and staple shit together. That okay, well, we bought four companies that do you know three million in EBITDA, and so now we have five million in EBITDA, and we're going to have some equity arbitrage, and we're going to be able to sell this thing financial for whatever, engineering. Right? Yeah, saddle them up with debt, and then it's just then it's just a math equation. Like it doesn't even matter about growing the businesses, but it's like, what if you do that and you could also triple all the businesses? And then it's like that's when you create these like breathtaking home runs. And that's kind of what I mean. That's what we're trying to do with acquisition. And I don't, I don't have, I don't have, a, I don't have a, a huge need for more money unless it's a, a, a an enormous. Like there's nothing I can do. I'm I'm have you ever have you ever Felix like Dennis's uh, like uh, how to be rich.
1: I think yeah. that's the name of the book. Yeah, we We're love it. Like, we great. talk about that table a lot, like the comfortably yeah. poor, you yeah. know, comfortably rich. Then you get to like rich, rich. It super
0: <laughs> resonated with me. It's like I'm the I'm the, the comfortably rich, but like not the super rich, not the Like so I, like everybody here, we can all consume whatever we want so we can fly on whatever planes we like. You know, you can fly private. You can stay in the nicest hotels, get the nicest airbnbs, go out to dinner every single night of the week at the five star restaurant at the Michelin star. And you can do that for the rest of your life. Like you, your personal needs as a human being are satisfied. But I can't buy that skyscraper right there. And I can't buy this huge company. And so what happens is like the things that you want to buy change. And so you create a new deficit for the amount of wealth that you want. Again, this is just assuming you like the game. And so like I like the game. And so I just want to keep playing it.
1: The, the, the funny thing is that what you actually like is just playing the game. And if you just said, well, I'm rich enough, then you'd have to stop playing the game you really love. And so instead, you start to come up with like things you want that in actuality sound a little bit silly. It's like, actually, I don't even think you want that skyscraper or to buy that. I I don't even think that's actually what motivates you. It's just that I'm actually peak loving the game right now. And the game only works if you care about the score. And yeah. so, you know, it, it is impossible to, to enjoy that. You can't play the game. If you've said, I've already scored the maximum number of points, <laughs> then the game becomes kind yeah. of silly. And so it's funny, like this is with all of our friends. It's like, well, why are you doing this? Don't you, you kind of got enough money, man. And it's like, yeah, but I don't have enough enjoyment. The enjoyment that game is infinite. And the thing I enjoy the most is playing this game. And, um, you know, I'm, so I'm going to continue playing, but in order to do so, I have to like construct these silly, like. Dreams that that I I'm not even sure I really care as much about as far as just playing the game, dude. That was huge. And um, as a side note, it's like if you think of,
0: there's there's kind of like I feel like two ways you can create a deficit, right? So one is like you can create a financial deficit by saying like I want this thing, it's costs a billion dollars, and so I need to go make a billion dollars. There's my deficit between where I am and where I want to go. The other side is what I was saying, like when you ask like what are you like excited about? Because I always said like what are the worst parts? But like I'll tell you what's what's good right now, is that we have finally separated Mosey Media, which is basically like. My my Layla personal brand and like the the content we put out, I would say the books kind of fall under that. Like the courses, the books, all the materials we give out to um, to Mosey Media. And so, what we originally were saying when we started acquisition.com is that the mission was to make real business knowledge accessible to everyone. Like that was the that was the mission of the, of the company, and that is still very much the mission of Mosey Media. What we realized is that hold coast team. So like our ex consultants, our our people who who recruit talent, our heads of sales who build out sales teams, our heads of marketing who build out marketing departments and marketing functions our head of customer success who build out product in the client experience, et cetera. Like those people didn't really resonate with making business uh, education accessible to everyone. Like that wasn't actually like what their mission was. And so we got really clear on what the mission of acquisition.com is, which is, and this kind of came organically. So it's like really exciting for me. Um, but one of the things I've always envied about Elon is that like every company he gets involved in basically saves the world. But like what, like, he finds a way to tie the mission of what he's doing to saving the world. It's like even Twitter, he was like, free civilization speech. needs free yeah. speech. And it's like, boom. I was like, man, how did he take a, a meme platform with, with tweets of uh, arrogant dudes, you know what I mean? <laughs> And turn it into, a, you know, free speech for civilization. Like that's where I think a lot of his genius is. Um And so for us, I was like, what's that thing?" And so we have the external gap of like, yeah, I want to hit the billion or whatever. Um, But I think the internal one is that We want to build a company off of praise and not punishment. And so we have this huge thing in terms of how we try to build things. is like, you can punish people or you can praise them. And we believe that you get more performance out of praise. Now you look at Goldman Sachs, you look at JP Morgan, you look at McKinney, you look at Bain, you look at these massive companies, even some of these like huge ones. And it's a lot of people are like, man, it's a toxic work environment. It's really hard, blah, blah, blah. And so those are usually punishment driven cultures. And so we want to, and so what's happened is like by doing that, that has aligned all of our Holdco team in terms of how we want to build these companies. And the billion dollar Alex mark is basically irrelevant because like to really win by their standards, we need to build something that's 10 or 50 or hundred billion. You know what I mean? And that might take the rest of my lifetime and it'll probably happen after I die. But if we can do that, then we can prove one thesis, which is like, people want to work and most environments are set up to punish people. And all you do is you raise the bar, Of what it takes to not get punished. But what happens is people churn out of work, they burn out, they hate their jobs, they hate their lives. And I think that there's a better way. And Layla and I are going to try and dedicate the rest of our lives to trying to prove that. And so that is the mission of acquisition.com and what we do with the companies. And we can show that, that it's not just like floofy stuff. And I think if it were just Layla, it'd be a woman driven thing. People like, oh, it's a girl who's saying you should be nice to people. But I think I, given how I look, how I talk, I can probably deliver that message um and it may take the rest of my life to do it but like i haven't felt like fucking amped about anything in a long time the last time i was this pumped was when the mission of gym launch was to take the gym industry from its knees to its feet because the average gym owner takes home thirty six thousand dollars a year in personal income um and has like maxed out credit cards and has like 18 days of cash on hand and i was like i want to fix this and what ended up happening is like i because i wasn't emotionally mature enough um i took enough licks from people really close to me both clients and employees um that i just like i just needed to put distance like i had 17 different people who worked for me try to start their version of my business you know what i mean i had uh clients trying to st- you know like start their like because it was a it was a business based on consulting right it was a consulting business so like once you had kind of the like, models you could in theory try and compete with us now no one has succeeded um but it was enough that i was like dude you were bankrupt and like and like on the brink of divorce and you used all this stuff and then like You scaled to three locations and sold them. And now your family's financially set off. And like, now you want to attack me? Like Uh, it happened enough times. To your feet and then you kick me.
1: This is how I get repaid for
0: this. (laughs) That's how it felt. That's how it felt. And so I wasn't, I like, I think now I can handle it a lot better. But at the time I just like, I felt so disenfranchised. I just felt hurt, honestly, because I really poured my soul into trying to fix the gym industry. And so when I felt that way, we created space and then it just became an asset we owned. And that's why I was open to selling it. Um, but like, I haven't felt like that until now. Um, so, and maybe it took two or three years for us to, for me to refine what that big mission was, but that's something I can get behind. Like that's something I'm fucking in
1: for. It's so funny. You mentioned the Elon big mission thing. Like this guy, he did it with Twitter too, which was really funny. And then, uh, while he was doing that deal, news came out. It's like, Oh, Elon Musk impregnates like this woman who worked for him. And he's like, uh, yeah. and he was like, <laughs> He's like overpopulation, uh, underpopulation. Like we we, were, we were at risk of population collapse. It's actually the biggest risk of all. And he's like, I'm just doing my part. And I was like, this guy, yeah. Teflon done, Like, how did he get away with it? He spun that shit like a like he did a whole like 540 on that thing, spinning that to be like actually. Actually, I was also saving the planet with that one too. Yeah. And I was You're like, welcome. I was like, this man. You're welcome. <laughs> Like what's that thing they call it where it's like just like the male, male bullshit, like the abilities for some some men to just absolutely bullshit their way out of everything. And uh Elon's got that. Like he is the world he is the world leader in that. I think there's wisdom in it though. Like in terms of like
0: because even thinking if I wanted to create a stronger narrative, because like I'm already amped about this narrative, but like I would just look up stats on worker involvement and talk about how like it's the end of of work until until unless
1: something changes. And so it's like we're saving work. Yeah, it, it's all what story you're telling yourself because yeah. then you'll tell that story to others. And if that story serves you, then, then great. I mean, I think I personally, I think this is the Silicon Valley, like, uh, what, like PTSD or whatever, where it's like anytime I hear a mission statement, I'm like, just yeah. shut the fuck up. Like, tell the truth. You want to make money. Great. You want your own life value to increase. And you realize that in order for you to get that value, you had to create more value in the yeah. world. And so you identified some people that needed something he you provided that value in spades, whether that was dentists need better software yeah. or that's, uh, you know, the world needs a social network, or we want to send disappearing photos back and forth to each other's phones. Like, um, you know, <laughs> the, you hear Evan Spiegel, like you go look at the original landing page it's of Snapchat or the emails that he sent to the sororities and fraternities where he's just like, the landing page is like two chicks in a white bikini, like kind of like do like taking like a naughty selfie, basically. Yeah. And then the, there's a giant timer where like the 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 photo is going to disappear. And same thing when he's emailing the the frats and sororities, telling me he's not saying I'm trying to you know reinvent the way that humans communicate. Actually, you know, 75 uh, of our brains is wired for images, not text. And so I wanted to make a messaging app that was image based and that you know and and then you hear him do the the pitch and he's like. Um, you know, for too long, images have only been used for memories, but I wanted to use images for communication the way we originally did with hieroglyphics and shit. It's like, bro, it's okay that you thought this app was fun and cool and like that it might be a hit and it took off in like, you know, these like schools and because people wanted to get around, you know, their teachers or parents being able to see photos on their roll. like that's okay. And, uh, but they always do this. They always tie it back well, to some. Now the word is, uh, now,
2: now it's the D word. It's democratized. Oh you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Like, we're, we're going to we democratize
1: access to private limos. Really, yeah. Uber like, and then of course, what does it become? Right, as the marketing teams get in there and the consultants get in there, they're like, "We're we're our mission at Uber is to make transportation as readily available as running water." That's that became their mission statement. It sounds yeah. fucking yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. But it at first, it was amazing. I, like, I want be real. Laid you didn't by start by showing up
2: in a black limo.
1: Yeah, you yeah. didn't start. And literally, the early stories of anybody who knew Travis and Garrett at Uber was like. They would be like, dude, check this out. Push a button while they're at the at their like Michelin star dinner and be like, watch this. Car shows up, and they're like, Yeah, that's right. Baller, right? I can see where he's at on the map. Like, this is amazing. This is my private driver. You know, I summon him through my app. And it's like, there's a, there's always to me like the disconnect between what I think the truth is, which is a yeah. little bit skeptical and jaded, and then like the revisionist history story that like sounds really admirable and noble. And like, I personally have just come down and I've landed on like, I'm okay with the truth. I get the human nature. We're kind of just primal animals and it's okay. You seek pleasure, you avoid pain. You like status and you, you yeah, know, you Sean, don't want to follow status. Like, but but sure.
2: Alex is, Alex is uh, like, mission. So, like, you know, Alex, maybe it started as like, the mission of our company is to get your money and to put it in <laughs> our bank accounts. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. that. Like, <laughs> like, we're changing our bank account one dollar at a time, and we're starting yeah, with exactly. your dollar <laughs> by making <thinking> it our dollar. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like it's, uh, what, yeah. Have you heard on uh, South Park where Cartman has Crack Baby Basketball League, and he's like, no. someone's like, look, we need to we need to pay our babies, our athletes, more money. He goes, look, ma'am, I don't make up the rules. I just think them up and write them down. Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I, cause inevitably, or I imagine it started with, I just want to get rich and do dope shit. To, and then it changed to, uh, you know, this pretty grand thing of changing work through instead of yeah. using praise. When did that change?
0: I think it's a yes and. So, Sean, I'm like, 100, like the bullshitometer, et cetera. Like, I, I, I full heartedly hear you on that. And I think that one is that the truth can change. And what I mean by that is, cause it's not like, we're not talking about a fact, we're talking about truth of, of why someone does something. And so like why someone does something can change. So like when I started Gym Launch, I, I've said this as many times, so, like the mission of Gym Launch was to not be broke. Like that was the mission of Gym Launch. But what happened is after I saw the lives that got transformed from it and I was no longer broke, the mission had to change because I had accomplished that mission. So the mission had to get bigger in order to continue to expand that because I had families who relied on me, employees, et cetera, customers. And so it did truly become to take its knees, uh, knees to from its knees to the uh, gym industry from its knees to its feet. Right. And so like acquisition.com started with the thing that I was passionate about because the only thing I was passionate about was just spreading like good business. Like I love talking about business. It's like my favorite thing in the whole world. I don't pictures about business. I write bu- books about business. I make courses about business, I make content about business. Like, and then I do business in the meantime. Like I fucking love business. And so that was the only thing that I felt passionate about. And so that's what I made the mission about. But as we've walked the path realizing that like the reason the businesses have done really well for us is because of the cultures that we create. And we believe that the, those cultures um, create better businesses and honestly, also better working environment, like generate really good bottom line, but also really great experiences for the people who who work there. And so like, I haven't been amped about it. And so like the truth of why I want to go there now, and now I see that a much bigger picture than I did when we started it two or three years ago. Um, I think that, I think your reasons evolve. And so I think that totally. it, it makes sense that I think it's both, honestly. Like yeah, Evan I, Spiegel's I, I personal that. goals, he was like, he had transferred money from that person's account to his to the degree that he could buy whatever he wanted. And so I think you just think more about it and you're like, why do I want to do this? Because you have to have a reason. Otherwise, you just, you, you go, you go to a ball of nothingness. And so. Yeah, well,
2: look, I mean, in the be- I think the best way to actually learn that, um, we were talking about the last episode, we talked about, uh, what's the uh, restaurant? Panda Express guy. Yeah, yeah. And then, and we were like, you know, he, he, he just sells like orange chicken. Like that's not exactly inspiring, but like <laughs> he, he, he employs like 20,000 people and he like gives these guys, I think he, we were talking about, I have my notes here. He gives them all, like he pays a little bit for them to go to Tony Robbins. He gives them like the Think and Grow Rich books and like all these books. And he's like, yeah, like the whole chicken shit, like that's kind of cool and all. But like, I'm actually like taking an hourly wage worker and we're trying to like elevate them. And so I'm like, oh, I can get behind that. I'm I'm in on that. And if you look at like a lot of non-tech or non-Silicon Valley companies who employ like 30,000 people and they're like, yeah, you know, we sell tires and that's cool. But I'm really just trying to like, we, we, we create jobs and that's very fascinating and that's really exciting and that's cool. It's better for the economy or like, you know, some of these like really boring brick and mooring... Mortar- uh, brick and mortar businesses i think that's actually where you see a lot of really cool missions or like um if you i've read the uh, have you read about the coke brothers um they got oh. those they, they, oh uh, you mean coke like coke industries yeah, yeah 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 coke Industries. so basically it started with the dad he was like an oil guy and then they used the byproduct of creating oil to create all types of plastics and whatever and so now it's arguably it goes back and forth as the biggest privately owned company in america and he was like, no, like my whole thing is like freedom for people, you know, and I want to like teach them that they have autonomy and like through working here, he's got a whole book on his management systems. And he's mm-hmm. like, that more so what I'm inspired about is like, uh, is like giving empowering people. And so anyway, when I read about those like older companies, I actually think that that's a bit more inspiring than like some dork saying that he's changing the world one like computer ship at a time when it's like, uh, I don't know, like, that's not exactly inspiring. You know, what I mean? maybe it hasn't played out yet
0: yeah 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 like if, for, like if bill gates said he like when he started was like i want to have a computer and everyone's like okay and then he did yeah. it yeah and so i think i think part of it is also like what snapshot on the timeline are we looking at but dude i 100 percent agree with you said like i love I, like it, you shot ha- it has because basically it shifts from internal to external like in the beginning you do it for you obviously you do it because you get you get praised instead of punished like you have good thi- more good shit than bad shit, so you keep doing it but once the thing that was good no longer, like the diminishing return of the pleasure of more money isn't there anymore, then you have to find a new, you find a new goal, like you said. And then, and if it also coincides with other people being motivated by not making Alex rich, but by proving a point that we can create companies that reward instead of punish and actually have better returns, like I'm juiced. And like, we haven't proved it yet.
1: That's fine. We haven't proved it yet. We will. I want to ask you two, two questions. The first is around people you admire. So we talked about the Panda Express guy yeah. on our, just on our own last episode, because we were yeah. featuring, those was like crazy rich Asians basically was the ah. third of the episode. And then uh, it turns <laughs> out he lives near you or whatever, like, you know, no. you're both in Vegas. Um, who are some people that you admire? So um, I always find this interesting to hear who kind of like stands out and why uh, for, for, for different folks. So who are some people that you admire, either past or present, you know, people that you've met? Um, cause I know that this kind of like getting famous on YouTube thing opens up a bunch of doors. You meet a bunch of cool people that like you otherwise, you expand your circle of people you, you, you get to know, um, through this yeah. stuff. So who are some people that you admire? Well, I
0: definitely admire Andrew
1: patron, uh, from Panda express.
0: Cause they're a married couple who built this whole thing and they didn't, they never took out outside money and they've owned the whole thing privately. They have 2,600 locations. They do 3.7 billion a year with 27% net margins and they take $935 million a year in personal income. And I think that's only possible because they have created a new vision for what they wanted the company to be about, which is about their employees. Um, I am inspired by Warren Buffett. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I am because of the long-term mentality that he has, and he built Berkshire Hathaway. And in some ways, I feel like he, he built it. He's like a beautiful life story of like just believing in the power of compounding and patience. And like that's what I feel like his virtues are that he's demonstrated in rational decision making. Um, I would say that for us, it's like if we can build something like that, but just with our own... Our own spin, our own zest, which is around praise out punishment and building companies that like we can win by their scoreboard, but we do it our way. Um, so that's the, the Warren angle. And um, I mean, I admire Elon a lot, um, a ton. You know, just like what we were talking about earlier, like his ability to see vision and connect to a larger mission, He's seen, he's been able to masterfully do that in every single company he's been a part of. Um, and his track record's incredibly fucking impressive. Um, and he just continues to like defy the laws of like what seems to be like normal or possible over and over and over again. And so I think just like how he just like stares into the abyss and says like, let's do it. I think that's something that I really, really admire. Um, yeah, obviously has flaws like all of us do, but I think he also has been really good about like owning his flaws, um, and being public about that. He's just a human. And I think he may create a new model for how big public CEOs run. And maybe that, you know, maybe we're in the beginning of, of that world. Um, and, uh, I think on the totally other side of the coin, I think I admire what, like, Mr. Beast has done from a personal branding perspective. Um, I've been able to get to know him really well. Um, and uh, and Jim's, Jim thinks really big and uh, has a t- tremendous work ethic. And I think seeing the merger, like, seeing where all these things are, like, Elon has been able to build a personal brand and, you know, in a lot of ways, like, if you're a fan of Elon, you want to buy all of the things, but he just happens to have enormous monetization vehicles. Um, And to your point, Sam, about like how they use like, yeah, sure. We make tires. Yeah, sure. We sell orange chicken. Um, Like in a lot of ways, I see like all the companies that we have in acquisition.com is like, yeah, of course we transact, we build businesses, but like the reason we do it is this. And I think that's um, really dope. And so that's, that's like, those are probably the, like, if you were to, if you were to mix, like, what are the things that I'm drawing inspiration from at current. It's, and if you look at what we're doing, it probably would make sense to see all three of those as the three biggest kind of influencers. You got like Mr. Beast on personal brand side here. You've got Warren Buffett on the investment side and then Elon from like the big vision. And I feel like those three things are probably where I draw the most inspiration from in terms of like our day-to-day and what we're trying to do.
2: What's interesting about you is that you're pretty good at, you're very catchy. So like the whole knees to feet thing is, is pretty awesome. Um, and then uh, what was the line for your current company? It was uh, reward versus punish. Yep, uh, nice. You're pretty, yeah, we would have beat them, we would have beat them at their game and we wouldn't do it our way. Well, you said we want to beat them on, we want to use their scoreboard, but do it our way. So you've got, you're quite lyrical. Um, you've also done a few, uh, there's like actually a handful of things that you've talked about very, uh, like casually that I've caught on to that I really like. So for example, you say, uh, you say dessert, what do you say? Dessert every day or there something? Dessert. Never skip dessert, and then you also because your whole like dieting thing is you eat all of your protein earlier on, and then yeah. you're like, all right, now I have uh, I fat and carbs, I we can go big on those. Uh, and, like you've done like a few things outside of business that I find like almost more impressive, or I actually use on my daily life more so than your business stuff, which I actually found is pretty funny. Uh, you also have I don't know if you've seen this, Sean, but if you Google like there's this like 23 year old Alex. Who does a thing where he's like, I'm gonna do a bulk over the next like eight weeks, yep. and he has like before, during, and after photos, and like that stuff, I look at significantly more than a lot of your business stuff. I find that some of your fitness uh, and diet stuff, like mm-hmm. more interesting and applicable in my day to day life than the business stuff. Um, I'm, I'm sure shocked that, that like this
0: a living for like I like I, j- I joked about it in the comments once. I was like, people like admire our like my way of thinking about things in business. And I was like, for a decade, I did that with fitness. I just don't talk about it because everyone feels entitled to opinion because they have a body. And
1: what I just, thing- and I
0: hate, I hate getting into the, they're like, well, what about salt? I'm like, dude, just fuck off. Like, just I, a- you know what I mean? Like, I, I have so little patience for it. because I'm like, look at you. And like, if you were more in shape, and by the way, no one who's been more in shape than me has ever criticized any of the content I. It's just like people who are wealthier than you never say shit about business advice. Like about, you know, I'd be like, no one ahead of you ever shits something.
2: Well, the cool thing about it is like, I, I use the fitness analogy a ton in business because I'm like, well, it's hard, but it's simple. in that if you lift this much weight and eat like this for a year, you're not necessarily going to look like Arnold or be lean or whatever, but you're going to be pretty good or better than where you are now. And you just got to do it for like two years and you got to like be fairly strict about it. Um, so like, that's why the carryover uh, is quite fun watching you do both of those things. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, simple, not
0: easy. I feel like is the, it's the fucking theme of, of so many things like fitness, nutrition, marriage, business, like simple to do or simple, simple to understand conceptually, very hard to do. What's the, uh, simple, not easy for marriage. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's reward more than you punish. I mean, it, it actually comes down to that. So like, okay, if I want my wife to scratch my back more. I have to wait until she scratches my back of her own volition. And then I have to reward her immediately. Okay. And then she will want reward more. And so she will do it again.
1: Very Pavlovian of you.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I think we're all that. You know what <laughs> I mean? I think, fundamentally, there's three things you can do when anyone does anything around you is that you can punish them for doing it. You can ignore that they did it or you can praise them for doing it.
1: Have you and, ever heard um, the Tony Robbins? Like I forget what he calls it, but it's like the four, uh, The four styles of being in a relationship, he says something like this. I don't know. Have you heard this thing? It's like um, the first one. uh, Let me see if I can remember it off the top of my head. So basically he goes, uh, you know, first one's like a baby. It's like, uh, I need love and I don't have to give anything to you. So it's just like, I cry, you give, and that's it. Like, uh, you better be happy with that arrangement. So that's like one relationship you can have, one style of relationship you can have. And obviously, like, doesn't work out very well once you're an adult. Um, You can't just cry, expect to be given everything you want, and then then not have to do anything in return. Because that's
2: baby love. So that's baby baby love. love.
1: Then he has uh, the next one, which is basically tit for tat. So it's, uh, and this is where almost everybody falls into. So this is probably going to sound familiar to at least to like, to an extent, and it's probably the root of all problems in relationships is tit for tat, which is you measure what you get, and then you give based on that. Uh, when you're, when you're given a lot, you give a lot, but then as soon as somebody breaks the cycle and they short you consciously or or unconsciously, they, they don't do what you, what you wanted, um, you also withdraw or pull back some amount of giving and then they reciprocate, uh, give, they, they also measure and pull back and both sides do that and you end up with a sort of a, a race to the bottom. And so that's tit for tat and that's where most people stand and they, it's just a cycle that resets over and over again. Um, The next one is unconditional love, which is basically I give regardless of what you give back. Uh, I give because that's who I am. Uh, I give because that's how I that's how I want to roll in my relationship. And I control what I control. And uh, obviously, that's way better. And like to me, that's the simple, not easy in of of being in a relationship is just go go unconditional mode rather than tit for tat. Um, And then he has like some higher one, which is monk monk love or something like that. He calls it where it's like spiritual love. It's like I love you even though you hate me. Uh, Like a monk can be like I I. I pray for and love even my enemies and those trying to hurt me. And he's like, you know, nobody gets there, but like that's aspirationally <laughs> what you could what you could get to as well is like, you know, the love like a monk who, who loves even their enemies. Yeah. Um and those who try to cause harm. And so those that those are the the four levels of love I remembered. Alex, do you ever so like
2: I saw this video of you the other day and now everyone's like giving you a hard time or they're just teasing you in a good way about like your outfit because you wear the same clothing all the time. And so you made a funny video about it <laughs> and you go. Instead of just saying, oh, comfortable, you go, dude, I'm just more Darwinian than them. These shorts, you want to go work out? I can go work out. You want to go to a restaurant? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what he said. He goes, you want to go swimming? These are waterproof. You want to go uh, out to a restaurant? These look just good enough that I can go and do that. I can do anyone. I can do anything. I'm
1: Darwinian. You're not. I win. You lose. Dude, I bought the shoes you had mentioned because you, you were like, these sandals, these are the perfect sandal for working out running through you know like walking through rain climbing a hill or <laughs> like being at the office and in the comments everyone's like yo what's the sandal what's the sand where's the yeah. affiliate link we can't find it and then some dude like 50 comments down <laughs> was like dude that's what the it's this brand yeah. uh the, the the nightshade color of this thing I was like, all right respect to this guy for finding it i'm gonna go buy this thing
2: dude but do do you ever like does your mom and dad ever like Hey, quit being such a douche and we just wear what we bought you because to be nice. Like, at <laughs> what point do you like? Are you like this makes sense for me? And also, like, it's good for the brand um, versus like live a little and like let's just fuck around. Do you know what I, I mean? Think, um,
0: yeah, like good for the brand is is actually not like really a thought when it comes to it. Like, I, I believe that it, like brand comes as a result of rather than like conscious. You know what I mean? Like, like people were like, so when did you think of never skip dessert? I was like. I was making fun of fitness people because my original audience was fitness people who obsessed about like, not eating cookies. And I was like, fuck off. Yeah, you know i mean, be like, eat dessert. You know what I mean? But do it in a way that you can sell a six pack the whole time. So that was why I never skipped. It was always like never skip leg day, never skip Monday. I was like, never skip dessert. Um, like the calves thing is because like, I genuinely have started training. I started I start every training session. S- since since a girl told me that she thought that my calves weren't big. Uh, so it's been like 12 years, 14 years that I've, tr- I start every session with calves. Um, and so like my calves have grown a lot. And so everyone's like, oh, Jeanette, like my calves were sticks and I trained the shit. Out. So like, is it part of my brand? Yeah. Because it's in some ways, thank like you, it's true. Lindsay.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you yeah. for <laughs> motivation, Lindsay. 14 years of fuel you gave me. <laughs> and, and it's the, the
0: outfit thing is actually because my, it's my content team that wanted to make content about it because they're like, dude you're a fucking maniac with this. Like, I feel like people should know this because everyone who knows you like in person knows that like, like when they walked in for like almost a year and a half, there was stacks of shoe boxes and I would wear different shoes for a day, an hour, a day, a week. And they kind of graduated to like, if they're good enough or I can walk around the apartment, then I'll walk around for their day. If I can walk around with them for a week and I still like them and most of them never got there. So I have a few finalists that got to that point. But like, I think I just like obsessed about making things better. Same things like if I do end up doing a, a you know, if, if there is a good enough company that does no strips, like I'm going to iterate the product a bunch of times until I think it's absolutely untouchable. And then I'll say, this is the one I use. And I can say that I say that with confidence because I I did the the work on it. For me, I hate, I just hate having to change. Like, I don't know what it is. It's like, it means that I started my day, like not thinking about what I was going to do. So I was like, okay, well, if I can create a, a setup or a uniform for myself that I can be in the most environments. So for me, I'm really never in less than 40 degree weather, like ever, because I usually tend to be in warmer spots of the country in general. Uh, And so like this, this outfit goes 40 to 120 degrees. And so and I can go to the gym, I can go to the pool, I can walk for hours, I can walk all day, I can go to a nice restaurant, I can do all those things. So because if they need it, it,
1: it, but that's crazy, because your wife,
2: who I've seen, she dresses lovely, she like it's it's fashionable, so her hair always looks nice. You know what I
1: mean? You like said uh, it goes forty to one hundred twenty, like a like a car goes zero to sixty. And <laughs> like this flannel, this jacket right here, this thing goes forty to one hundred twenty.
0: <laughs> once once it's a, once it's below forty, I get cold, so I have to put pants. Um, but like up until then, I'm, I'm pretty much good within that range. And so like I can I can button think like this thing can go full full sleeves, and like I'm like that's when I'm in mo- like mass cold mode. Or if I go to a restaurant that are fire sleeves, I can have that right. But <laughs> Otherwise, um, you know, like I'm in beater mode. Like we go to the gym, you know what I mean. We go to the pool. We go to the beach. We go wherever. I'm gonna be in beater mode. You know what I mean. And this is we the lightest sport. Thing. I tried to sport sport drive. drive. <laughs> yeah. Sport <What>? mode. Like <laughs> yeah, you can put you in sport mode, mode like a car. Um, yeah. Well, my whole outfit has sports mode. People are like process sport, Like my whole outfit has sports mode and comfort mode and weather mode. And I can I can do that. And so anyway, I mean, like I I enjoy. I enjoyed finding each of these things almost as much as I enjoy wearing them. And I, and I, every morning, and this is tr- like every morning when I put this on, I get like a little, a little boost where I'm like, I know that I've picked every single one of these pieces out. And I have no doubt that this is the best thing for me, like for my day. And so like, I know that the brand of white beaver that I have on right now, I tried 40 or 50 other brands on. And I want I knew this one. Sat where I wanted to sit. It wasn't too thick on the shoulder or too thin. It didn't drop into some string on the back. Some people like that. I didn't want that. Um, like, beaters themselves are thinner than tank tops. They're ribbed so that they fit right. I think even, like, have you ever seen those Under Armour tank tops or those, like, shrink wrap ones? Like, they don't look good. Like, I think they look synthetic. And for me, I think they look like kind of synthetic Like, I don't like it. I like cotton better. Um, and so, like, it was just a number of iterations. Like, if I talked about the shoe, I could tell you a zillion things that I looked at like, I mean, I just, I, I have like an Excel
2: sheet that like... I thought you would have. I have a few friends like that. I'm not as extreme, but I like buying and testing uh, like a ton of stuff. I yeah. think Sean did. Sean wears, uh, ordered like 20 of the same shirts. What products... This is actually interesting. This is I don't think this is like too inside baseball, but what products and brands uh do you obsess with and love like uh, in your daily life?
0: Well, I'm, I won't say them because I'm in talks with like Hassan. Correct <laughs> Uh, to try and figure something out, um, but I, I, I will I will caveat that with I think that in general for people like my life might be different than theirs, and I think just being delivered like so many people just like sleepwalking through life that like they're always sitting there with their pants that just don't fit just right or always don't have this thing like a lot of stuff I modify, so like I mo- like my gym bag like there was a video about my gym bag like I tried out a bunch of different bags and I finally found a bag that I liked and then I modified the shit out of it. And like that bag. Now every time I go into a gym, people are like, "Dude, that bag's awesome." I was like, "I know because I made it for this function, and it's great, and I love it. It's really good, you know." So I think it's more <laughs> just like finding the like whatever your forty to one twenty is, because maybe you live in Michigan and it's always cold.
2: It's like, well, you're gonna have a different standard what, standard wear. What shorts are are they? I thought you used to wear just jorts. I used to make fun of you for wearing. I, I used to I can- wear jorts, but jorts, yeah.
0: The re- so I, I'll tell you, I used to wear jorts because they were more comfortable. Um, and I could do more casual settings with them, right? They're like always showing up in like athletic shorts. You know what I mean, just it just it looks it looked like almost too casual, I think. Um, and so a lot of restaurants are like no athletic wear, and so I was like, okay, well, that's annoying. And so then it went through this whole thing where I had to find like the best short. And then while I was doing that, like the ones that I have have back hooks on them, so that if I can hang them too dry, I've got an iPhone pocket in there that's built in, so like because I hate having to sit and then you take it out of your pocket. Yeah. Like every time, we, like, it's such a pain. Like, well, there should be a pocket for this. Everyone has one, right? And there's like a, a little place that I can put like an iPad uh, iPad pencil in my shorts because I, I use my iPad a lot. Um, <laughs> like, I've got cargo on the other side and uh, these are stretchy, but not too stretchy, but they're stretching.
2: What, what, what freight are you hauling in there, buddy? What do you got? What, type of, what do you need the cargo? A lot of pack
1: Gummy bears? No, a yeah. lot of times it's
0: mic packs. So a lot of times it's mic packs because we're getting like right now my mic packs in my cargo pocket, um, but like I could fit a water bottle in here if I need it, um, or uh, or a hotel key, like hotel keys there whenever we're traveling, uh, or I use my Nicorette because I actually Nicorette, so I'll have Nicorette in my pocket if I go on a podcast. So I just I would like always have the stuff that I I need there, you know. Well, it's You're just a about- the
1: best the best way possible, man. This is yeah, my, it's this, about- these are my favorite kinds of pods when you you find out. You know, it's like I want to see your weird. Uh, That's when I know you. Until I see your weird, I don't actually know you. I feel this is this is my personal, my personal thing, and uh, I'm glad we went down this rabbit hole uh, (laughs) because I got to see your weird. It's funny because right now, my uh, actually, I'm not going to show you the brand, but
0: um, I've got this backpack here, right? And this backpack, I wore. I can wear it like when we travel. I can wear it everywhere, and it has everything that I use to travel. And I can travel for for four weeks with that because all I have to pack is three pairs of shorts that are identical that are multi everything, and then I just have an amount of tanks that is whatever the laundry cycle of the trip is, and that's it. And I can put one flannel on top, and I'm I'm good. Like, and I don't even have to use the expansion part of that backpack, which I have options if I need it. Uh, and so like. And it has a cool front thing for all my wires that's flat so it doesn't take up space. Like, there's just a lot of... Like, and I went through a zillion different bags to find that. I went through a zillion different bags to find the gym bag. But, like, now, when, whenever I pick it up, I'm like, this is the best bag for the job.
2: You, like, seem feel, like cl- uh, you seem like a clutter-free guy. Like, do you have a cleaner who comes to your home very, very, very often and someone who does laundry? And also, do you own... Do you not own a lot of stuff? I don't. Layla does. Right. And so, that's like,
0: I... That backpack and like tank tops, like I can fit my entire wardrobe on my bedside table, and so super easy. Uh, and like when I was trying stuff on, uh, you know, one of our assists will come and they'll return, you know, anything that that I, I don't use or whatever. Um, but like I think we're, we're, I think the the underlying point here is like Layla doesn't do that at all, like because that's like that's not real. Like she doesn't like that at all. Like she grew up really poor, always wanted to have nice, nice clothes, and now that she can, she loves wearing nice clothes. And she feels good wearing nice clothes and she gets hit up by by the designers to like go to the runway things because she, she wears like one piece of
1: her wardrobe is the entire cost of my wardrobe. Like one piece, like a top. What Um, is the best uh, way you spend money for you personally? Like not like a business investment that, uh, you know, you're, you think it's a great ROI or you get a bunch of joy out of it or it's like uh, dope for you. Um, That is, let's say, not your content team and not like something that's directly in the business. Yeah. I mean, I would say
0: JSX is, is wonderful since it's, it's in the Southwest. So it's a, uh, it's like semi private flying. Yeah. Uh, I fly uh, so, It's pretty good. Oh, it's great. I mean, it gives you, so like I, the only reason we fly private is because it's safe. It's the only reason we do it like, and you a lot less hassle, but JSX allows you all the benefits of private flying. This is like a fucking JSX plug, but it's really good. Um, and a ticket's like 300 bucks when it would normally be like 50. So if you want to fly JSX from Vegas to Salt Lake or Vegas to Scottsdale or Vegas to, to LA, um, it's 300 bucks. It's nothing, right? And you really, you walk up to the plane, you get on the plane, and then you walk off the plane. Like, that's it. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just like private. There's just a few other people there. And private flying, in my opinion, has the most benefit for the shortest travels and the least benefit for the long travels. Because like long travels, you want to fly as high as possible, as fast as possible. The bigger pl- you know, the bigger the plane, the better. And um, and by percentage of the trip, you know, the the going through security and dealing with the hassle, if you have a five and a half hour flight, five and a half hours versus like seven hours of of transit, doesn't like the day's screw. Like it's kinda like it doesn't materially change a lot. But on a short travel where you're going like sub, I would say sub two hours, like you can you can double the length of the trip or triple the length of the trip by going in reverse cut it in half or by a third by flying private and so that's where i feel like you get the the highest marginal benefit it's also the cheapest uh private flight to the shortest ones because it's by hour so that's kind of like when we when we when we go back and forth and uh usually the only times we'll fly private is if we can't get a direct uh jsx flight
2: we um we'll, we'll wrap up in a second here but last time you were here sean asked uh, a question about your portfolio um, and I want to follow up on it. What's your portfolio looking like in terms of like your um, both your private investments as well as like what are you doing with your money? Are you keeping it in equities, bonds, cash? I think last time you were super heavy cash, if I remember correctly, or yep, all maybe it was, yeah, that's what it was. It was treasuries. You're like I'm almost entirely treasuries. What's it? What's it looking right now in terms of like a if you could do like a pie chart and percentages?
0: Probably still half treasuries.
2: Except now they're a lot uh, better than before.
0: Yeah. So we're probably half treasuries, probably have a quarter in just like indexes. Um and the other quarter is in private companies. So pretty simple. Yeah. Probably not by value. Over time, that that treasury part is going to continue to decline as we do more and more deals. Um but yeah, I I still think that like, I mean, I don't know what the future looks like. So I like I I tend to like having lots of cash. Like I feel good. I I never want to not be able to do a deal that's gonna 10x because I don't have cash like that, like the, the cost of missing the 10 X is well worth the quote inflation that I'm suffering for the difference between the treasury yield and the inflation cost.
2: And yeah, I would imagine you probably don't own a car and you, you seem like you'd be. No, we the, own, so mentality. Layla has a,
0: has a, one of those H2, uh, electric Hummer pickup trucks.
2: Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Yeah. The huge <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. the so so yeah.
0: She, she was like, yep. I want it. I was like, okay.
2: They're actually' like, know, it's not really my to do
0: that. Mine would be, a, if it were me, I would have a Dodge Caravan. I was like all blacked out, tinted windows with the TVs, you know what I mean? In the back, like sliding door as I pull up, uh, that would be more my, my, my and, style. And
2: are you renting? You're renting still or do you own that place? Uh, no, we, we actually just bought, we just bought a place.
0: Um, we, we were running for a couple of years and then, uh, Layla found one that she was like, I want this one. So I was like, all right, get it. So I'm actually, so we, uh, we just moved today actually, or yesterday was the official move. So that's why my background is now my office closet, but we're actually retrofitting a closet here, uh, to,
2: uh, to be my office. Dude, I heard that, uh, Derek from more plates, more dates. I had heard a story. So he basically started the, his whole video thing when he was, you know, no one. And he just had a shitty apartment and I had heard a story that he, Bat, the, the original video was just him on a white wall that he cut that white wall and put it into each of his now nicer yeah. homes or apartments. I had heard he took that wall with him uh, everywhere. So even the shade was the same. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I had heard that and I thought that was pretty funny.
0: I, I, I'm a big believer that like... <laughs> Derek obviously knows what he's doing. Um, I just always just want like... If I move, you guys... Will- like my background will change and you'll know that like something has changed my life you know what well, I mean? he's way
2: more private than you
0: yeah um, he's way more private he doesn't want anyone to know his last name etc um diff, you know different strokes i think on a long enough time horizon everyone will find out your last name i mean lady gaga i try to go by gaga but like you can wikipedia her name so like you know you can you can find it if you get um famous enough and i figure that like we will get famous enough and so it it, it it hasn't been something that i've tried to protect you know a ton
2: well thank you for uh Coming on again, you, um, if you go to our YouTube page, my first million, you're actually like the, I don't know what they call that video, but you're like our main yeah, page video. It was video. like the pinned
1: video for a while.
2: Yeah. And it's like a quote of like, I've come to the conclusion that I just like to work and I don't like when people ask me, why am I working all the time or something like that. <laughs> but uh, thanks for doing this again. Yeah. And uh, uh, we really appreciate it.
0: No, th- I mean, thank you guys for having me on and thank you to the audience for maybe making requests to have me back on. So I, I, I appreciate it. And it, it means a lot to me. So uh, thank you guys for just being an awesome hosts in
2: general. Awesome. Well, that's the pod.
0: Yeah. I feel like I could rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, less travel, never looking back.